I'm losing this game of pool when I notice the child watching us. She's too young to know I'm losing, so I give her a smile and a little wave. This is what I would call progress in my mission to become more sociable. Immediately, I'm outgunned when Frank notices our audience and slips into performance mode. I'm going to hit this white ball onto the red ball, which is going to go into that pocket. Then the white ball will rebound off that cushion and hit the ball into this pocket. You ready? He tells her as her eyes widen. He follows through. What would you like me to pot next? She points to the white. He pots it with a signature little hop and soaring motion with a cue. The girl was probably initially intrigued by my colourful tattoos and loud Hawaiian shirt. Little girls do tend to gawp at the cheerful way I dress. But she quickly realises it's not the lady dressed as a clown who is the entertainer here. Two shots to Jenny, but game to Frank. The small child returns to its mother, satisfied. Frank heads to the bar to buy a round. While waiting to be served, he overhears a man say to the bartender, We'll have to agree to disagree. I'll be the judge of that, Frank offers. I watch him from the pool table as he talks to the man, his body angled in, head tilted, hand on the guy's shoulder. He's there for a good five minutes. When he comes back with the drinks, he reports that the man is a composer from New York who's lived in Melbourne for 12 years, but who's been struggling lately and most immediately with the crossword. That's where the disagreement with the bartender came in. We head outside to the courtyard with our drinks, where two men are having a meeting, notebooks out. Frank zooms in on them. What is it? Crypto? What's the name of your coin? Turns out, one of them has given the other Turkish language lessons. Each week, they meet in a different pub. Where's next? Amazingly, they're not afraid to tell him. Later, when we leave the pub... Frank stops to say goodbye to the New Yorker, who is by now having a game of chess with a friend. Frank mentions that his father had made all seven kids reasonably skilled in chess. I'm the best, though. The New Yorker takes the bait and challenges him to a game next time we're in. And we're out. The Union Hotel has been hit by a one-man SWAT team. You're listening to Spirit Levels. It's the podcast that pressure tests the wellness industry. I'm actor filmmaker Frank McGree, and every Tuesday with my partner, journalist Jenny Valentish, we'll immerse ourselves in wellness practices from the pseudo to the sensible, and we'll thrash out the benefit. Frank. Yes. It was watching you that day at the Union Hotel. Mm-hmm. Quite early on in our relationship that made me reassess my approach to sociability. Great. Not just that day either, because I remember watching you very early on doing things I'd never do in a million years, like talk to people in lifts, absolute no-no. Right. Or in saunas. Oh, saunas, you've got to talk to people. These are places that I assumed people would want to be left well alone, but you always get great results out of people. Mm -hmm. Is that a conscious philosophy? Uh, I mean, it's it's conscious, but I always want to make conversation with people in settings, especially when you see someone that looks like you could talk to them and they'll respond. Or if they're people like me and you just feel sorry for them. Is there that element as well? Oh, there's a lot of that. <laughs> pity talking. Pity, pity conversations. <laughs> Is there really though? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think everyone's open to talking if, you know, the right start to a conversation happens. I mean, very rarely do you get shut down. The biggest shutdown was obviously on that aeroplane when I said to the guy next to me, would you like to see a magic trick? And he said, no. And I thought he must have 
not heard me properly. And I said, no, would you like to see a magic trick? And he went, no. That was hilarious. So, and then you both had to sit there for the rest of the flight. For the rest of the flight with me doing magic tricks to myself. <laughs> so there's no conscious point in your life where you've thought, I'm just going to be a really friendly dude. No, apparently I used to chat up old women at the age of three or four in department stores. I was playing a long game or a short game. A very short game. <laughs> okay, with Christmas party season coming up, I thought for my fellow introvert kin, yep. I would browse a ton of books on confidence and conversation. There's a lot of them out there. Plus draw on tactics that I've come up with over the years to give introverts a game plan for surviving the night. Great. And I should say I'm not suggesting there's anything flawed about being an introvert. Not at all. Not at all. It's just that it's good to have some moves up your sleeve for different social occasions, I think, mm -hmm. if you're kind of forced into them. Absolutely. Have the tools. I've learned the hard way because in my early 20s, my tactic of letting people this. know that I'd be open for conversation and actually quite keen. Yeah. Let's say it's a group setting in the pub or something. Yeah. Would be to stare intently at them. Like a psycho. Well, yeah, in a way that could be, I realise now, construed as actually hostile. I mean, I was trying to communicate almost like, you know, with telepathy. Is that the look you were doing? Because that's, yeah. that's really scary. Yeah, okay. I would have gone straight up to you and talked to you. Well, yeah, what would your opening gambit be? I've got a bag of MD and a hotel room <laughs> booked. And a vasectomy. <laughs> Sorry, we're crossing episodes. <laughs> Yeah, that was episode four. That was episode, wants to that was episode four, everybody, if you haven't heard episode four. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so to help me with this task, our guest this week is Matt O'Brien, or Matto, who's a Melbourne-based... A Melbourne what? Who's a Melbourne-based legend who set up Tell Your Friends You Love Them. It started off as a hashtag, and, and then it became some events and different days like... May 8th is Love Your Mates. Oh, cool. Kind of clever. And we, um, we met him recently on a three-day train festival. Yeah. So Matt is a fixture at festivals and he had some literature in our sort of train tickets that we were given. And um, um, I must admit, and we'll probably discuss this, he was, he was too intense for me on the, on the three-day. On the third day, he was a bit intense because he's got a lot of energy, it was, he? it was a three-day thing with about 200 people and not really many places to hide. And so, uh, yeah, not Matt, Matt was being um, the social glue. And at some point, I sort of caused my brain to melt down because I, I, I sort of needed a bit of quiet time. And he came over to play, all right, name three songs you would play on a car trip if you wanted to cry or something. And then he kept changing the rules so that I'd, I'd really try and answer. And then he changed the rules and get more specific. And mm, Look, you're even nearly tearing up now. I, got, I had to go and lie down. I, I loved it. Literally I had to loved go and that lie game. Down. So anyway. But top bloke. Top bloke. Because he's kind of like your modern day hostess. He is, isn't he? Yeah, he's your he's your mixer hostess who gets everyone talking. So he's going to give us his tips, and then I'm going to give everyone my tips over the years, and then the tips from the books. Does everyone want to hear my tips? Yeah, I reckon if you could come up with some conversation starters first, that always work for you. Okay, that'd be great. Easy. All right. Welcome to our boudoir, Matto. It's a good setup. We met on a train. 
a three-day train bender <laughs> called Soundtracks. And I guess your job there, in a way, was to bring people in, mm-hmm. get people feeling comfortable. Yep. Yep. The classic meet and greet. Yeah. It was a big ask, putting 200 people on a train that don't know each other. Great social experiment. Yeah, yeah. It worked out, though. It's kind of a dying art, isn't it? Like, yeah. the host or the hostess, yeah, yeah. whose job it is to just get everyone mixing. Yeah. It's the same vibe as a late-night TV host, you know? But yeah, it is a dying art. Were you always a connector? No, but I'm from a really big family and a really big community family, country community family. So I think I'd learnt that comfortableness in a large group of people. If there's a guest over that no one knows, they're like the main person. You're like, go get them a drink, make sure they're comfortable, do this. So, you know, when I look back, it's probably from that, being in those settings where you have to be very aware of the person that does it belong and make sure they're happy enough to be involved in. School for life. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's wild. Dad's side was, he's got five siblings, Mum's got six siblings. They've all got three or four kids minimum. So, like, our Christmas was just, like, so many people. And then they'd bring their friend or the neighbour would come across from the streets. As a kid, I'd just be like, I, I don't know who these people are, but they're part of the family somehow. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's much the same in taking that to, like, a festival setting. So tell us about the origins of Tell Your Friends You Love Them. Oof. Do you want the Hallmark version or the... <laughs> it's, it's through grief and losing friends rapidly. Um, and me tackling or learning how to live with grief. After a couple of friends passed away, another one almost, and went the wrong way, like dealt with it with like drinking heaps of whiskey and leaning to all the vices and going super, super dark. And then out of that came me posting on Instagram photos of people and writing the eulogies that everyone does after someone passes away, but I was doing it to people that are alive. And the first line was, tell your friends you love them because we're like all going to die. So it was pretty dark. And then my friend um, Sarah made some patches that said the, the slogan. She was like, you can sell these. And she made them and then ended up donating the money to the trauma ward at St. Vincent's. So that's was six years ago. Yeah. We do pub takeovers. We, I get come on board with a bunch of festivals to do like crowd control and um, welcoming parties um, those kind of things. When people are coming into a, a space in a big group, a lot of them are confused or overwhelmed. If you can do something to set the mood as someone comes in. So like a lot of things we do um, at Boogie Festival, we did a um, welcoming committee when the cars were all in the line. And that's when we came up with like stop signs and um, go signs. But instead it said, um, Boogie loves you, tell your friends you love them, no one boogies alone, look after each other. And we had out little pamphlets and gave people like friendship wristbands. So as, as soon as they got past the gate, they had their mindset of being like, oh, like, look after everyone, you know, like, everyone's your friend, you don't know. So that's like crowd control kind of stuff. With the wristbands we give out, we make wristbands that are perfect pairs, and they're all randomised. There's only one person that's there's your new best friend in the whole festival. So people go out, and then you have a shared common thing because, like, oh, it's not your number, like, I'm looking for mine too. So then it starts this, like, process where everyone is, like, interacting with each other. And the forthcoming... Okay, Motel's event in February. I think mm-hmm. there's, there's some kind of bingo thing you're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's going to be a fun one. So everyone gets an individual number. And then between the bands, we're going to wheel out an old 70s bingo ball and spin up two numbers at a time. And so we're going to call people up on stage and they're going to be like donned new best friends for the festival. And they're going to get a matching wristband that's going to give them um, prizes and free drinks. But it's only valid when they're with that person. So <laughs> that one's going to be fun. What advice do you give people that are invited to a social event but are on the fence about going to a social event? 
I, I would just be like, just go because you never know what's going to happen because, you know, something amazing could happen. You could meet like your new best friend. You could meet someone that you've always wanted to meet through that will give you the door open into like a whole new world you've always been thinking about. I've had some of the most amazing things happen from the most random events. If someone invites me somewhere and I'm like, I would love to come, I really try and make sure that I always go. If you're invited somewhere, there's a good chance that that person, they love you in their life and they want you to be there. So you can, you can wear it like an armor, walk in with that confidence. Mm. Yeah, that's a great one. Mm. For me as well, the challenge is to stay talking to someone because I'm quite <laughs> restless and mm -hmm. something as soon as I'm locked into a conversation makes me want to leave. Yeah. Like it's a really overpowering urge. Wow. And then if I do leave, I always feel really sad. Like I was getting a lot out of that. So I try and make a game of it of myself like, okay, in this conversation, try and learn something really interesting about this person that they probably would never dream that they were going to say. You know, oh, something like Wow, what a game. Age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a surefire way to remember their name as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Saying the name a lot, I think, is good. There's a lot of psychology in that, you know? But it's so powerful. When someone uses your name, you just mm -hmm. instantly yep. feel more comfortable around yep. them. You want to... Yeah. There's so many things you can do like that. Name's one of them. I was trying to remember something obscure about someone so the next time I see them, you can bring them up. Like, that's what a lot of people, they just want to be involved. They want it to be an exchange. It goes both ways. So re remembering things like, oh, last time you talked, you were... Um, thinking about doing this did you end up going on that holiday and like I did go it was amazing and then you're like great rough you know it's a good start even if people need to jot that down when they get home yeah it. yeah it's worth it I've got so many random notes in um in my contacts in my yeah. phones you know oh, you add it to the yeah yeah phone. yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. even even the bottom yeah like mm -hmm. even if it's just like bits and pieces of like stuff that you're if like they ever saw it, they'd no be mortified. yeah they probably <laughs> just just a whole list, wonder, sketchy list wonder what he's got about us oh, yeah yeah when yeah. <laughs> i first met you it was, it was a three-day event and uh you know people were employing various ways of staying alert yeah and i employed too much <laughs> and i was really trying to act normal but it could only work if nobody spoke to me. <laughs> and you came over to play a game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably because you were sitting there by yourself. Not really. I was like, oh, I better make sure she's okay. Have a good time. And you're like this. No, 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 no. <laughs> Things like that. Quick games or random questions um, always like break people, you know, in a good way. You broke me. Yeah, <laughs> I broke you in the wrong way. No. If you revert back to like things like that, that um, there's no wrong answers to. Yeah. And also if you share something about yourself, it gets a reaction that people are like actually involved in. The questions get deeper and more mm. genuine or more personal. And once you're in that, then you can get to know someone like pretty well, you know. But yeah. if, like if you ask, you know, favorite movies, favorite uh, music, you know, start on that level. And there's people that say movies and you hear someone from your left be like, I love that movie. Yeah. And then it's like conversation started between two people that have been sitting there for an hour and not talking to each other. Yeah. Mm. But then it gets into the ones of like, favorite three trips you did as a child. And then it's like, bang, like they're telling you about their childhood and what they did and where they're from. And half an hour early, they were looking at me like, I don't want to name the three best songs on a road trip, weirdo. Like, you know? <laughs> and then it's like, it gets into that zone. And then, yeah. 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 So you crack them open. Yeah. People love to talk, yeah. you know. If you can let someone talk about what they're passionate about and they know it's in a safe spot that no one's going to, like, laugh about what they're passionate about, then they will talk for hours. I've had the most surprise in my life with misreading people when it's like they're the one really scoping the room first and they just had to, like, work out what level or what version of themselves they can be, which mm -hmm. is another big one you've got to, you know, bring into your thinking as well. 
Well, we have many facets to ourselves, don't we? Mm -hmm. So whoever you're with, you know, it's a true version of yourself, but maybe we've got 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone wears many hats. And and I'm from the country originally, and I think that helps as well, because you can, you know, change the way you talk, you know, stand differently. Um, There's all these, like, kind of, not so much tricks, but just, like, dealing with awkward situations you can do. It's a combination of that. It's being a hospitality veteran and I've like worked bars forever. You can deal with kind of standoffish people a lot easier. Mm. There's true strength in being your exact one version of yourself everywhere. But you also have to admit that if you do that, then there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, either love it or hate it. But if you can like switch around, it's not so much as always being a chameleon, but like you, you have levels of yourself. In an office setting and also in a family setting, it's much harder to negotiate or like maneuver around those type of parties because there's so much extra layers going on yeah definitely the work self i think a lot of people present a very guarded yes version of themselves so they yeah. many throw alcohol at that yeah it's a people can go yeah, it's a powder, powder keg someone's so used to being a shielded version of themselves that once they get to that situation it goes the opposite like you said they go to the person that just goes like I finally can be me. And then everyone's in the office is like, well, they're definitely getting fired. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> or it's like the level of friendship is like a false one when you're with like, I guess like office setting work people yeah. where you've got like something like, oh, I work with them five days a week, blah, blah. They don't really know a lot about me. And if you get to the state when you have the dark DMs with them, yeah. then they go back to work the, yeah. the following Monday and they're just like, whoa, I wish I didn't know stuff about you, but I do now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the same thing as like when you go to a, a wedding or like a like a gala ball or something you have to put on that version of yourself you know you can't be like the three-day train ride raging festival guy because people will just be like <laughs> like what is that person doing here so there's a lot yeah. of that read the room a lot of people can't though so that's that's it, it you got to learn it people are you know self-medicating too hard mm. too fast too quick coping mechanisms you're like i really want to fit into this room and then they just bypass everyone and they became the same version but at the other end of the scale where everyone in the room's just been like whoa look (laughs) who's that person and why are they doing that my most outgoing friend told me that there was a point when she was you know reasonably young where she just made a conscious decision that she was going to be super confident did you have that moment i didn't choose i was through primary school and high school i was like quite on the edge because i was a country uh, skateboarder punk rock music i think there was like one of type of me in the year level and two underneath but then i remember when i first moved to melbourne and it's like when you move anywhere you're like you can be like any type of person you want no one knows me here and so i was kind of like i can i can yeah do a (laughs) rebrand and so that was the thing the same as like we said earlier like i just started going to everything that i could to find out if I like something or not. But then through that, I guess like I learned to be like, go to the things, talk to the people, find out stuff you don't know. And then I guess the more you do of that, I just got used to being that one. But then the flip side of that, I, I can't really go back now. <laughs> like, right. you, know? you can't have like, a pensive Yeah, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I, I don't really have the, um, I don't have it in me anymore to just walk into a room and, you know, not, not say hi to everyone or not, mm. you know, re- really be involved, which I wish I could go back to. <laughs> There's been a lot of times when I've said to Kate at OK Motels, like I've finished both things for the day. I, I like I've run like a 200 person speed friending thing for two, three hours. And I've just been like, hey, I've got to go and lock myself in the hotel room, <laughs> sit in the shower in all my clothes and just be like, oh my God, what am I doing here for the next three days? But... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
It's a Christmas party, so drinks are free. And whenever drinks are free, we feel obliged to drink as much as possible. And if you're one who does not play well with others, it's likely that you've found you mingle much more willingly with some social lube. Or Dutch courage, as this is often called. It's a phrase that dates back to the 17th century when Britain and Holland were expanding their empires. And to sledge the Dutch, the Brits came up with a bunch of derogatory terms that implied the Dutch were cheap and or lightweights. Going Dutch, Dutch courage, Dutch defence, Dutch metal, skip and do the double Dutch. But as we heard with Matto, Dutch courage can backfire. I remember as a teenager entering the world of pubs, I was well into Dutch courage, because alcohol sedated me sufficiently to be social. And when paired with a pack of cigarettes the other tool for the socially skittish. I could sit around long enough to hold a conversation without needing to leap up and literally run around the block. I did a lot of running when I was waiting for those first three drinks to kick in. Problem is, it's easy to go Dutch too much. So if you haven't actually learned social etiquette, or if you don't have it as an innate talent, adding loads of vodka actually just means you're always going to be making inappropriate jokes or dragging innocent parties into dark, deep and meaningfuls. And then, of course, you'll just blank that person the next time you see them, and people will misunderstand you to be rude instead of fucking awkward. So years later, I gave up alcohol for a long time, and I wrote a book about addiction. And then at that point, I knew I'd have to publicise it, and I thought, how can I get on stage without alcohol? So I went to a social anxiety club. And at the first week, me and the other people, probably about ten of us, Under the guidance of a facilitator, we all had to read something out loud. And then we had to give ourselves marks out of ten for anxiety at different points. Then at half-time, we all went outside to smoke. And during that little smoking circle, somebody mentioned beta blockers. And they explained that these were pills that blocked your adrenaline. And that you can't get nervous. They're not a sedative. It's not like taking Valium or something. It literally just means you can't get nervous. So like they've been banned in competitive golf and archery, for instance. Sports where you have to hold your nerve and not shake. Frank has since told me that he sometimes uses them before a voiceover too. Anyway, this person went on to say, Oh, you can get them from your doctor. And I looked around this group incredulously like, What the hell are we all doing here then? You mean you people know about this, and yet we're here at a community centre on a Tuesday night, rating our anxiety out of ten. So I left, and I got a prescription. That was about seven years ago, and I've now done so much public speaking with the aid of beta blockers that now, if I happen to forget them, it's absolutely fine. So I think as a tool to get you through in the early days and just get you used to something, get you used to socialising, get you used to public speaking, they're definitely worth checking out. That was great, wasn't he? Ah, oh, I thought he was fantastic. And I love that his family invited people over for Christmas and then not only were they invited over, but there was a real emphasis on looking after them and make sure they had a really good day. Actually, Matto sent a text afterwards to say how much he enjoyed it, which reminded me of the old-fashioned thing of sending thank you letters. And so I thought that was a nice touch as well, following up to go, yeah, guys, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So, Frank. Yes. Do you want to hear my top ten... Game plans for introverts, sociophobes, awkward stuck-ups and wary marys. I can't wait. All right. Now, number one. Wear a high-vis vest. Not a literal high-vis vest. This is an imaginary high-vis vest because you need to have a role. 
and authority, okay? So let's say your role that you assign yourself is it's your job to make sure the wallflowers of this shindig are feeling comfortable and okay about themselves. So you're giving yourself a job, basically. Yeah, and they don't know. And whoever invited you doesn't know, but you've got a job. Right. And it really does work. Like when I, for instance, interview people as a journalist, right? I've got my journalist hat on and I can glimmer them. I can charm them. I can appear so fucking absorbed in everything they're saying. And then as soon as I turn the dictaphone off or phone these days, they're like, where the fuck did that person go? Mm. But I had a role. I quite like that one. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Mm. All right, two, wear something with pockets. If you put your hands in your pockets, you will look nonchalant. But by contrast, if you have nowhere to put your hands and you're a bit of a nervous person, you're going to be stabbing your lemon to death with your straw. You're going to be twirling your hair. And a big fear of anxious people is that they they look mad. Uh, Mad or creepy. I I didn't know this. So you're saying go out with pockets so you can stuff your hands in your pockets? Yeah. Number three, yeah. strike first. There's something I like to call letting your mate take the weight. And that's that classic thing where you've gone out with your friend and anyone who comes up to you guys, you let your more out there mate do all the hard work mm-hmm. and talk to them. And you pretend you're looking at something on your phone or on the wall or whatever. But then inevitably at some point your mate's going to have to go for a wee. And it's time for you to step in. Oh. So you saying get in first? Get in first before with a your bit mate. Friendly chat, and then let your mate take the weight. <laughs> so you, it's not so hard to pick up that baton later. All right, number four. Mm-hmm. Don't hide your teeth. What? You know what I mean? No. There's a certain type of person who always holds their hand in front of their teeth. Ah, oh, I know what you mean. When they laugh. All the time, whether they're eating, whether they're talking. And it's obviously a self-conscious thing, but of course it's like a big neon arrow. So um, I've come up with a solution, which is to uh, develop a laugh with your mouth closed. (laughs) So everyone's got to practice. That's creepy, though. That's really creepy. All right, we'll move on. We'll move on. Number five. Yeah. Ask yourself, what would blah blah do? You've got to make sure blah blah who you've got in your mind isn't a socially awkward dork. Okay, so it's got to be someone who's very adept socially. So I used to do this with my friend Mikey Carl, who who used to be sort of an entertainment reporter, but also uh, a footy mascot. Uh, he was a DJ. He was the guy who was like a social glue and made everyone feel comfortable in any situation. And so you're not trying to copy the person because that would be a weird kind of out of character thing. You're just mm. literally asking yourself, how would they react in this situation? All right, number six. Touch people inconspicuously. You did this all through our first date, although it can't be that inconspicuous because I noticed. But you were constantly, like, jabbing my arm. Prodding, it's called. Prodding. It's an NLP. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and so, look, if you if you lightly touch someone when you're talking, I've got a friend who does this, and she makes this connection with you. And, and, it, and it registers within you mm. as well. Like, it's just a very nice sort of intimate thing to do. Yeah, I mean... I actually do do it, but I'm not conscious that I do it. You're not conscious when you grab someone around the neck. Okay, and maybe when I've hair. got them in a headlock, that I'm then conscious. But especially close friends, it feels quite natural when you're laughing or telling a story that you touch them. Not for me. 
Well, it's because yeah, you're in our little phobe. spheres, aren't we? Like that's because your bubble but is so. But not many so... people do do it. Um, yeah, I'd maybe. say about two percent of the population do that. So no. yeah. But anyway, be careful. Don't like touch them on the knee or on the small of the back. Oh, now you're freaking them out. <laughs> you're giving them all rules it's, it's of maybe engagement. Just a, sli- a really light touch on the shoulder. Um, <laughs> Those people are going to be me too. And they go, hang on, this Spirit Levels podcast told us how to do this. Number seven. Yep. Channel a columnist. My friend Bridget was a columnist. Mm-hmm. And every week she had to file some kind of interesting what's the nation talking about kind of piece. She's a groups person anyway. She's really comfortable in groups. But whenever I'd see her socially, she'd be asking questions like, you know, what do we all think about X? Or what would you do if Y? And um, and they were always really interesting questions that I wouldn't think to ask, you know, because they're not specifically a thing that I know about the person I'm talking to. But the hypotheticals or just having a real curiosity about what people think about something mm. can work really well. Yeah, that's good. Maddow obviously did variations of that. Well, he did literally, he had quite sort of a rigid structure, really, like mm. name three things. So this is more kind of reacting to the times and the zeitgeist. and Yeah, so it's like more like coming into a, a group and saying, so what does everyone think about the Palestinian-Israel oh conflict? <laughs> Number eight. Yeah. Use motivational interviewing. This is used a lot by drug and alcohol workers, by some counsellors, and it's when you're interviewing someone, it's a way of bringing out what they're trying to say. So it's avoiding yes or no answers. And it's a technique where you make them feel really comfortable by doing things like paraphrase what they've said to you back at them. So they really feel heard. But what comes out of that, though? What's the outcome for that other than making them feel good? Well, I guess it's playing for time. (laughs) You start to feel comfortable. Until you think of an interesting conversation like the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But I do have a friend, though, who does this a lot where she'll ask questions of you all the time and if you try and ask one back she deflects and throws it back at you and and that can make you feel a bit off kilter like well I don't want to share things about me and my life if you're not going to give back so if you're going to use this technique you do also have to reciprocate I've got a few friends and they they do they just drill you with questions and then when you try and talk about their life they kind of fluff over it Mm. um I don't like that. No, I don't it like doesn't that. feel like a, a symbiotic conversational relationship, and it also feels a little bit loaded. So, what are you doing now? What are you, it's like you've got to prove yourself somehow. It's like a game show. He's like questioning everyone, like he's on some, you know, he's like Steve Weisart or something. I guess it's protecting your own domain as well. Yeah, I think it's just I don't know. You, you, these people that want a heightened conversation all the time, it wears thin. You just want to actually just, yeah. how are you going? Yeah. Like, how are you going? All right, number nine. Adopt the mindset, this person is my friend, before they even are. I got this from a book, Principles of Likeability, by conversation coach Patrick King, who's written tons of these books, and they're not bad, actually. And he says, someone has to make the first step, and it might as well be you. So do things like, Lean towards them as they talk. Make eye contact. Think of them as a friend. Visualize them as a friend. Um, when it comes to eye contact, because some people find that excruciating, he says to distinguish between a gaze and a stare. So you want to make it a gaze, maybe even a fond gaze. And I've also heard that you can look at a point 
between someone's eyes if eye contact really makes your stomach clench and they can't tell. I'm just going to try it on you now. Like, come a bit closer. Can you tell that I'm looking at the bridge of your nose? Am I going cross eyed? Yeah, you look pretty creepy. Am I, yeah, but is, am I going cross eyed or do I look normal? No, you look normal. <laughs> That's <laughs> a look really weird then? look. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number 10. Of course, you could have some conversation starters ready to go. I actually went to a cafe in Rye the other day and I sat at the table and they had. I can't remember if it was nailed to the table or if it was just like part of the menu. They're conversation starters for the people you're with. Right. And if you think of some, maybe you could practice them on baristas who have to hear the same fucking stuff every single day by every person who comes in. So if you could try your conversation starter on them and see if you get a flicker of interest, okay, that would be a good sign. Can I add one to your tent? Oh, please. Attempt humour. Because... Even if you fail at humour, it's so gutsy that people respond to it. Can I just say my tribe always fails at humour and it can be extremely offensive stroke awkward? Your tribe being (laughs) 80 million people in England. (laughs) No, but I think it's just that classic. Even when someone attempts humour, straight away the guard goes down because it's like, oh, someone's trying to be funny. Right. And even if they're just like a slightly, you know, bit of a dicky kind of humour, straight away it breaks the barriers down. And you've got so much respect for that person because you hardly know them and they've tried to be funny. Yeah, but and when so, humour misses the mark, it causes great offence. Yeah, but you don't want to... Yeah, you've got to be careful about it. You just, it's more observational humour than... Yeah, you know, not, don't make it personal about the person. Yeah, don't look about the hairstyle or something. Mm-hmm. But just that observational humour or... It's just a really good just breaks the wall down. If you clap them on the shoulder at the same time. Well, and I always touch them on the knee. <laughs> I have one hand on the knee, one on the shoulder, and I try a gag. <laughs> and from there... You've been listening to Spirit Levels, a weekly show with Jenny Valentich and Frank McGree. Subscribe to hear our show every Tuesday and we'd love to see you on Instagram. We're Spirit Levels Podcast. And TikTok, where we're Spirit Levels. See you next week.